Right, good morning. Uh, would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew and chapter 16? If you would pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, would you be gracious to us and bless us? Would you cause your face to shine upon us? Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us and the great privileges and responsibilities you have bestowed upon us as members of your body. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began with a job description. This week, I'm going to read to you another job description. This is for a different position. Listen to this job posting. This is an appointment for citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Serve as a priest king under the king of kings himself. Represent him on earth, protect his glorious gospel, affirm citizens of his heavenly kingdom, guard the holiness of his people, and expand his kingdom to the ends of the earth as an ambassador for his name. The requirements for this job position are to be born again, through belief in the gospel, repentance, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be baptized in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at a gospel-preaching church, and membership in a local assembly that preaches the gospel of this great king. Are you interested? Are you ready? Are you up to the task? Are you doing this job already, brothers and sisters? Well, if you aren't, you should be, because that job description is yours. We're continuing our series this morning uh, on rediscovering church. Last week, we looked at leadership in the church. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Christian took us through discipleship and discipline. In a couple of weeks, he will take us through serving and evangelism, and that will conclude the series. Next week, we'll be in Hebrews again. This morning, we're looking at church governance. Church governance. Look with me at Matthew chapter 16 and verses 13 and following. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ here 
on the basis of Peter's gospel confession, Jesus promises to build his church. And in giving that promise, he also establishes an authority structure for his kingdom. He establishes what we would call a gospel polity. What do I mean by polity? I mean a governance structure for his church. And Jesus is speaking, we would rightly recognize, to Peter, who is standing as representative for the rest of the disciples, for the apostles. And Jesus says, I am giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, as as an apostle, as a representative for the other apostles, Jesus is giving Peter kingdom authority. And we see elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 18, the passage uh, that was read previously, that this authority Jesus extends from Peter to the whole congregation, to the whole church. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says to the church, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The power and function of the keys of the kingdom of heaven here is given to the entire congregation, to the church in Matthew chapter 18. And from there, we get our job description as church members. So this morning, as we are looking at the governance of Christ's church, as we consider the job description of church members, I pray, brothers and sisters, that you would feel the weight of that stewardship, of that responsibility that Christ himself has entrusted to you by giving you the keys of his kingdom. And I pray that you would embrace that responsibility and live it out in the life of ECC. Uh, An outline for you as we go through a number of uh, different scripture passages today. An outline is provided for you on page 10 of your bulletin. So as we consider this job, this responsibility that Jesus has given you, brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about what I call his discipleship plan, his governance structure for his church, and it's called elder-led congregationalism. Elder-led congregationalism. It answers the question, who's in charge here? It answers the question of governance. And already some of you are sitting there and like, oh, why are we talking about governance? Why is this relevant? Why is this important? Well, governance is important, brothers and sisters, because Jesus cares about his church. Jesus has established a pattern for his church to reflect his kingdom. You see, the gospel tells us that God is not just saving individual people. No, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, God is establishing a kingdom for his glory. And he created us, he created human beings to be kings and priests under his authority, in his kingdom. Under him, the king of kings. Yet we have rebelled right back in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned against God. We have sought to be kings for ourselves apart from God. We are traitors and rebels and therefore we deserve his righteous judgment. And we deserve condemnation. We don't deserve to rule. We deserve to be judged. 
And yet God has been rich in mercy and great love. He has not done away with us. No, in his mercy, he sent his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, came to earth so that he was fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life that we could never live under the lordship of God his Father. He ushered in his own kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. Therefore repent. And then Jesus went to the cross for rebels and traitors like us. He died on the cross wearing a crown of thorns, dying as a crucified king, taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve as a king representing his people, as a substitute dying in our place, granting forgiveness of sins to whoever will turn from sin, whoever will turn from the kingdom of darkness and trust in him by faith, we receive the forgiveness of sins and we are made citizens of his heavenly kingdom, members of his body, a part of his bride, the church, members of his family. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never trusted him as your king, as your Lord, as your savior, then you are still in the kingdom of darkness. And I want to call you to hear his voice today and to flee from that kingdom of darkness, which will lead to eternal darkness, and to come into the kingdom of light by trusting in Jesus and putting your faith in him. So Jesus establishes a kingdom He is building a household, a family. He has died and shed his blood for his bride, the church. And so the church, brothers and sisters, is central in God's plans for the world. If you look at the whole New Testament, the entire New Testament almost is written to local churches. Jesus died for his church. And so he cares about his church and how it is governed. He cares about the answer to the question, who's in charge here? He cares about how you do your job. And that means you should care about what your job is and how your job performance is going. And that means we need to talk about elder-led congregationalism. So what does that mean? What do we mean by elder-led congregationalism? Again, I've given you a definition in your bulletin on page 10. It means that Christ has given every local church binding authority and responsibility as a congregation to guard the gospel, to affirm believers, to grow disciples and enact church discipline under the lordship of Christ himself and the leadership of the congregation's elders. Let me repeat that. Christ, our Lord, has given every local church binding authority and responsibility as a congregation to guard the gospel, affirm believers, grow disciples, and enact church discipline under the lordship of Christ himself and the leadership of the congregation's elders. In other words, under Christ's lordship and the elders' leadership, the gathered congregation, you and I, are in charge of the what and the who of the gospel. What is the gospel? We guard that. Who is a Christian? We guard that. We are responsible for the church's doctrine, membership, 
and discipline. Now, sometimes when we speak of congregationalism, people get confused. Uh, a few years ago, ECC adopted this pattern of church government, believing it to be what is revealed by Jesus in the Bible, elder-led congregationalism. And some people took just the term congregationalism and put their own meaning into it. Right? And sometimes we can misunderstand and think that congregationalism means some kind of democracy where everyone is in charge and we vote on every single decision and any decision or any direction in which the elders lead, the congregation has to vote on it, and each one gets a say, and we all decide by majority vote on everything. No, that's not what it means. Christ's church does not follow a democracy form of government. In fact, it's, it's kind of a blended form of government, of three different forms of government. The church, Christ's kingdom, is governed as a monarchy under the kingship of Christ himself. He is the Lord of the church. He is the king of the church. We live under his authority. So it's a monarchy. Christ's church is also an oligarchy. If you don't know what an oligarchy is, uh, that means it's the rule of a few. The rule of a few people established in a position of authority and responsibility. There I'm referring to the elders. Jesus appoints elders to lead and rule over the church with his authority. And Christ's church has shades of democracy. In other words, there are certain areas of the church where Jesus gives the people, the congregation, final authority and responsibility to act on his behalf. Jesus gives the congregation, the king has given the congregation the keys of his kingdom. And that means we have authority over the church's doctrine, membership, and discipline. That authority, brothers and sisters, is not given to the Pope. It's not given to a group of people somewhere in denominational headquarters, some outside entity. It's not given to the Council of Evangelical Churches. That particular authority is not even given to the elders. No, he gives that power and authority over the what and the who of the gospel. He gives that to the congregation. And that's an incredible responsibility, if you consider it. You and I, we, the gathered congregation, are responsible for the truth that this church preaches. You and I, we, the gathered congregation, are responsible for the holiness of this congregation and to affirm fellow believers as actually following the Lord. That's amazing responsibility. Are you saying Jesus gives that responsibility, that kind of authority to ordinary Christians? The answer is yes. You see, like my friend Sam Amadi says, Christians, church members, are supposed to be like Batman. What do you mean you have to be like Batman? Well, Batman, if you know something about superheroes, is a different kind of superhero. Batman didn't land on Earth from outer space with some kind of alien DNA and superpowers that he has by virtue of being an extraterrestrial. Batman was not injected with some kind of super soldier serum which gives him extraordinary strength and abilities beyond the average guy. Batman was not bitten by some kind of radioactive spider that now gives him superhuman abilities. Batman is just an ordinary guy. He's an ordinary guy 
who has an extraordinary job. He puts on the bat suit, he has a bunch of tools, and then with bat suit on and tools all armed, he goes out to guard the city of Gotham. An ordinary guy with extraordinary tools and an extraordinary job. That's what every Christian and church member is, brothers and sisters. You're an ordinary Christian with extraordinary tools, God's Word and the Holy Spirit indwelling, and an extraordinary job, authority and responsibility to speak for Jesus. If you don't like the analogy of Batman, let me give you a better one that's biblical. You and I are, like to, are to be like Adam was to be. You see, God creates all of the universe. He created this beautiful garden where his presence dwelled. And he created Adam and Eve in his image, according to his likeness. And he says, so that they may rule. Let them have dominion over it all. Adam and Eve were to function as a king and queen under the kingship of God himself in the garden. Not only did they have a kingly role, a royal role, they also had a priestly role. Adam was to work in the garden to keep it. The language used to describe Adam's task in the garden to work it and to keep it is the same language used to describe the work of the priests later in the tabernacle and the temple. Adam was to worship God and lead all of creation in the worship of God. He was a king and a priest. They had a royal role and they had a priestly role and they failed in that. Not long after that, God established a nation, the nation of Israel. And he said to them, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. They were to inherit Adam's role and to be a royal priesthood. They were to shine God's light to the nations around them and to show what it means to live in a relationship with God, to show what the kingdom of God ought to look like. And they failed in that task. But the Lord was not done with his plan. No, he sent our Lord Jesus Christ, his only son, to be the perfect king who would establish his kingdom and the perfect priest who would offer himself as a sacrifice on our behalf and lead us into God's kingdom. And now Jesus saves us from our sin and he appoints us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, we have inherited Adam and Eve's role. We are to rule like Adam and Eve ruled. We are to live as a royal priesthood just as Adam and Eve were to do that. And we exercise that rule, that authority, that priestly work in the local church by fulfilling our job to bind and to loose as a congregation by exercising our authority in Jesus' name. Amen? Are you following? So now we're going to consider what that authority looks like. Let's spell it out. Let's spell out what the congregation's authority is. What is the authority that Jesus has given you? And we're going to think of it in three realms. The congregation must guard the church's doctrine, the congregation must guard the church's membership, and the congregation must guard the church's discipline. First, we, you, are responsible with authority from Jesus to guard the church's doctrine. I told you Jesus promises to build his church, Matthew 16, verse 18. That promise comes immediately after Peter 
has made a confession of gospel doctrine. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Brothers and sisters, the church exists under the authority of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has given us, as his church, he's given you, as members of the church, authority to ensure that his word is rightly taught and his gospel is faithfully proclaimed. Think about Galatians chapter 1. Paul is speaking to the entire congregation of the church in Galatia. And he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He is holding the entire congregation in the church in Galatia responsible to guard the purity of the gospel. If someone is preaching a false gospel, the church is to act with Christ's authority and put that person out. Or think about the book of Revelation where Jesus is speaking to seven different local churches. In Revelation chapter 2 and verses 13 to 16, he is speaking to one of these churches and he says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, Repent. Jesus holds the congregation responsible for those who are propagating false teaching in their midst. He holds the church responsible for believing and upholding true doctrine. Brothers and sisters, this means that you, the members of ECC, have final authority and responsibility over the doctrine and the preaching of this church. It means that if I begin preaching and teaching a different gospel or bring about aberrant teachings that don't conform to the Bible, or if I start getting up here and giving you life lessons instead of opening the Bible and letting it speak, then you are responsible to fire me and put someone else in my place. It means that if the elders begin leading this church in a direction that departs from Scripture, if as elders all of us are compromised and begin to embrace doctrines not found in the Bible, then you are responsible to remove all of the elders and to put other faithful godly elders who will teach the Bible and submit to its authority in our place. This is why, by the way, the congregation is responsible for confirming elders in their office. I told you that elders are appointed by Christ himself with his authority, but the congregation is responsible to affirm and confirm a man into the office of elder. That's because elders are charged with teaching doctrine and to lead the church and protecting the church from false doctrine. So when you confirm a man as an elder, you are entrusting to that man the responsibility to teach the Bible in this church, to give instruction in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And we better not put somebody into that position who would be unfaithful to that task. If there are changes to be made to ECC's doctrinal statement, to our statement of faith, to our church covenant, to our church constitution, brothers and sisters, you are responsible. You are responsible to make sure that those changes conform to God's word. You are also responsible 
to ensure that true biblical doctrine is upheld by your fellow church members. Not just by the preacher, not just by the leadership, not just in the documents, but by every other member of the church. So if you see a church member with false teachers on their Facebook page, and they're posting those sermons, you are responsible to go and talk to that brother or sister first. If you know of another church member who's espousing prosperity doctrine or some other false teaching and disseminating those things, maybe giving out books or sending WhatsApp messages, you, brother or sister, are responsible to gently go and correct that church member. And if you find that it is widespread and alarming and they're unwilling to listen, you are responsible for involving your elders in that situation. Positively, it also means Jesus has given you the job, beloved, of fostering and applying good doctrine in one another's lives, of helping one another to grow. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is speaking of the elders' work, of the pastor's work, and he says, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom, so that we might present every person mature in Christ. In the same book, in Colossians chapter 3, he speaks of the congregation, and he says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another. Brothers and sisters, you are responsible to teach and admonish one another, to help one another grow. So do you know a sister who is struggling to believe that God cares for her? Go to that sister, enter into her struggle, and share with her that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, loves us with an everlasting love, that he is sovereign and in his providential care as our father, even our sufferings work together for our good and for his glory. Do you know a brother who is kind of living casually with no burden for lost people, who just treats these things lightly? Go and sit down and talk with that brother and instruct him. Help him see the reality of hell of eternal darkness into which lost people will be condemned. Help him see the urgency of the gospel message. Help him see the call of Christ for us to proclaim his gospel, to share his gospel with others. Do you know a brother or sister who constantly evaluates themselves based on their own good works or lack of good works and constantly feels like they're falling short? Go talk with that brother or sister. Encourage them. Remind them that they've been counted righteous in Christ, that the perfect righteousness of the Son of God himself has been imputed to them by faith. And encourage them to base their standing before God on Christ and not on themselves. Do you see, friends, we are responsible to guard the church's doctrine by ensuring that our beliefs and our teaching conform to Scripture and that all of us are living in light of those truths. Not only are we responsible for the church's gospel confession, but we are also responsible for the church's gospel confessors. We're not just responsible for the what of the gospel, what is the gospel message, but the who of the gospel. Who is professing faith in that gospel? That leads to our second area of authority responsibility here, the congregation must guard the church's membership. We must guard the church's doctrine. Second, we must guard the church's membership. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, 
Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If you read the context there, we see that this comes after a process given by Jesus of an escalating pattern of sin and confrontation. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between him and you alone. If he does not listen, take one or two others so that every charge might be established by the presence of two or three witnesses. And if he still does not listen, tell it to the church. And then the church acts to treat that person as a Gentile and tax collector. And so Jesus now, in the context, speaking of the church, says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Remember, he said that in Matthew 16 when giving the keys. This means the church has the authorities of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. When the church sees someone continuing and persisting in unrepentant sin, they are saying to that person, your life does not accord with your belief. And so we don't affirm you or recognize you as one of us, as being a part of Jesus' kingdom. We don't recognize you as a citizen of his kingdom. And Jesus has given the church the authority, his authority, to say that. The congregation speaks with the authority of Christ himself and of his kingdom in saying to someone, we don't believe that you are walking as a Christian. Jesus also gives the church with that authority to recognize every citizen of his kingdom. Think about what he said here, whatever you bind on earth and whatever you loose on earth. The church can make declarations of who is and who is not a Christian. You must read Matthew 18 in light of Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to the church, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He gives the church authority to put his name upon disciples. When we baptize someone, we are putting the name of the triune God upon them, saying that they represent Him. And you might say, well, how is that given to the church? Well, go back to Matthew 18. The church is given the authority to bind and loose, not just any individual Christian. And so the church is given the authority of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission, to make this affirmation and declaration, to affirm someone's profession of faith. If we think of the local church as an embassy of the kingdom of Christ, then through baptism and through church membership, we are granting citizens of his kingdom their passport, that they might be recognized as a citizen of that kingdom. A few months ago, my daughter's passport expired, and so I had to go to the U.S. Embassy to get her a new passport. I couldn't just scrub out the expiration date on the old one and change it and say, okay, now this works. I couldn't print off a new passport on my own in my house. No, I had to go to the embassy and receive a passport there for her to be recognized as a citizen of a particular nation. Friends, baptism and church membership works the same way. When you are a member of the local church, that local church has affirmed your profession of faith. You are recognized as a believer in Christ. You are affirmed as a citizen of Christ's heavenly kingdom. And this means that church membership is incredibly important and biblical. And, you know, I know there are a number of people here, and you might be one among them, who have attended here or keep attending here for a long time. You come each week. 
you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, but you have never committed yourself in membership to any local church. You think it's just between you and Jesus and there's no place for the church. Church is just an event that I go to and I kind of sit there for an hour and a half each week and that's the end of it. If you are not a member of a local church, it doesn't have to be this one, where you are submitting to the congregation and their affirmation of your profession of faith. I'm going to say this as humbly as I can, out of love for you. I have to say this very truthfully to you. If you claim to follow Christ, and if that claim has not been affirmed by a local church in a covenant of church membership, it's possible, dear friend, you might not be a Christian. Church membership is basic obedience for every follower of Jesus. So if that's you, and you're wrestling with what I just said, sign up for the Discovering ECC class next week and come and learn about why Jesus commands church membership of everyone who professes his name. So recognize this, brothers and sisters, members of ECC, I'm speaking to you now. When we are bringing someone into membership we're not just saying, okay, let's add their name to the list. We're not just saying, okay, let's give them some rights to vote. No, when we are adding someone into membership, we are receiving them with the authority that Christ has given us. We are affirming them, recognizing them as citizens of his heavenly kingdom. Don't get me wrong, we are saved by faith and by grace alone, in Christ alone, not by church membership. But if we are truly saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by His grace alone, then we live out that salvation in the context of church membership. When we affirm someone as a member, we are saying, this person belongs to this kingdom. He's part of us. He wears the jersey that says, Team Jesus. Or she wears the jersey that says, King Jesus. And it's not just authority. Jesus has not given us as a congregation just authority for a one-time vote. No, he's also given us responsibility for one another's growth. When we bring someone into membership, we are assuming responsibility for that person's life, spiritually speaking. We are assuming responsibility to encourage them in their faith and help them grow in godliness we are taking responsibility and making a commitment to pray for their growth in Christ-likeness. That's why we encourage you to pray regularly through the members directory for all of the members of the church. We are responsible to pray for them. And with that responsibility, brothers and sisters, for each other's discipleship, also comes authority and responsibility for the church's holiness. The congregation must guard the church's holiness through church discipline. So the congregation is responsible for doctrine, first, second, for membership, and third, for the church's discipline. Think again of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. It's very, very clear. He says, if the person refuses to listen, verse 17, tell it to the church. And the word church in Greek means church. I was uh, having a discussion with a brother uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, okay, church discipline, I understand that's fine, but why can't we just tell it to the elders, and the elders do the church discipline privately? 
And I said, but because Jesus said church. He really says church in Matthew 18. I'm, I'm not making that up. And we ought not to be like Thomas Jefferson, right? Uh, maybe you've heard of uh, one of the U.S. founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he had a special Bible called the Jefferson Bible. Basically what the Jefferson Bible was, was every section of the uh, Bible that he didn't like, he, he cut out, snipped out with the scissors. So we can't come to Matthew 18 and says, well, Jesus tells it to the, says tell it to the church, but I think it's better to tell it to the elders, so I'm cut that out of my Bible, slip out that page. Life will be a little simpler for all of us. No, Jesus has given the church authority, brothers and sisters. And if a person continues in unrepentance, then we act as a church with love, with grace, with truth-telling, to tell them, we are going to treat you as a Gentile and a tax collector, as an outsider. We don't recognize your profession of faith. You are probably not one of us if you live like this. This is repeated again, 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says the same things. He, he's speaking to the congregation. Listen here, the apostle is speaking to the congregation. And he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, with the authority of our Lord Jesus, you, congregation, you, church in Corinth, are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you see the authority that the congregation has? The congregation has the authority to act with the power of our Lord Jesus to enact church discipline on someone who continues in unrepentant sin. We, brothers and sisters, are responsible to guard the holiness of the church, of the congregation. So again, if you're seeing someone straying from the path, if you're seeing someone continuing in sin, it's your responsibility to go and talk to them about it. It's your responsibility if that situation continues to involve your elders in that. Not to just let it slide or just say, I'll just leave it. That's not loving. The congregation has authority over the church's doctrine, membership, and discipline. And ultimately, when we look at those biblical spheres of responsibility and authority that Jesus gives the church, this then shapes how we vote as a church and the things that we vote on as a congregation. It's all spelled out in ECC's constitution. We all have agreed that that's how we're going to govern ourselves. And if you look there, it's very clear. We vote on matters of gospel doctrine. If there are changes to the statement of faith or constitution or covenant, uh, we vote to affirm elders into their office because they are charged with the responsibility of teaching. We need to recognize them. We, are vote, we, we vote on those whom we add into membership and remove from membership, uh, either by excommunication or by transfer to another local church. We would vote on someone being restored from church discipline. Again, that's exercising the power of the keys to bind and to loose. And then you might ask, well, I'll just see that it says we vote on the church budget. Where's that in the Bible? And the answer is, well, it's not in the Bible. All right? We think it's a wise thing, however, by extension, by wisdom, we think that it's wise for the congregation to vote on the church budget, again, because the congregation is responsible for the church's doctrine, and that means we need to have an investment to see that the resources of this church are not being unwisely or foolishly spent on things that don't promote the gospel and true doctrine. So, brothers and sisters... Jesus has given you authority to govern as priest kings in the embassy of his kingdom called the local church. Be like Batman. 
an ordinary Christian with an extraordinary job. Guard the gospel. Be fully responsible to do your job towards your fellow members in this church. So then, how does that relate to the elders of the church? How do the elders' authority, how does the elders' authority relate to the congregation's authority? Again, I've given you that diagram, little diagram that I gave you last week. That's on page 11 for you. It shows that God has entrusted authority both to the congregation and to the elders. And the elders are given a different kind of authority in a different areas than the congregation. And if we think about the areas that the elders are responsible and have authority, first and foremost, the elders train you to do your job. The elders train the congregation by teaching the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus has given, the risen Christ gives the church, pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we equip you for your job by teaching you and training you from the scriptures. Not only do we teach and train with our lips, we also do so with our lives. So secondly, the elders lead the congregation in exercising its authority. The elders lead the congregation in fulfilling its responsibility by exemplifying the Bible in our lives. This is what I said last week. Elders are to be an example to you. So we are to show you how to rightly exercise your authority, how to think rightly about the things of God, how to fulfill the job that Jesus has given you, the congregation. And finally, the elders oversee the congregation in obedience to the Bible. This means that in the other matters that I've not mentioned, apart from doctrine, membership, and discipline, the elders have authority for oversight to rule, as First Timothy says, over a whole host of matters pertaining to the direction of this church. That we are to make decisions that we believe would best foster your growth in godliness and your growth in Christ-likeness and the holiness and maturity of this church. Elders train you to fulfill your job. It's kind of like this. Think about it like this. Several years ago, I signed up for a particular uh, kind of workout routine called CrossFit. And every day we'd go to the CrossFit class. I had no idea what the workout was sometimes. But we show up there, and the coach has kind of written down a prescribed workout of the day. And he doesn't just give you that workout and say, now go do it. No, he instructs us, spends the first 10 minutes or so instructing us how to perform these different movements. All right? We watch him perform those movements. He tells us how to do it. When we're doing it, he comes, you know, no, that's not right. You're going to injure yourself. You do it that way. Do it this way. And then that becomes the workout. And by doing that, by imitating what my coach does, by listening to what the coach does, by watching what the coach does, the workout actually works, and you get stronger, right? That's kind of how elders' authority works in the church. The elders teach you, train you, show you how to do it, establish a routine for you, and by following in that, you grow in fulfilling your job. Uh, you can also think of the elders' authority and the congregation's authority this way. It's, it's like the elders are the steering wheel in the vehicle, Right? We're guiding the direction of the church, turning left, turning right, heading in a particular direction. The congregation's authority is like the emergency brake. So the elders are in the driver's seat, driving the vehicle. You, members, are in the passenger seat, not just as a passenger along for the ride, but as soon as you see the elders go off track, if we're driving off a cliff 
If we're going to hit a bus, what do you do? You pull the emergency brake. I don't know how many people have actually pulled the emergency brake when the vehicle is in motion here in your life. You probably have never done it, which means you've been driving with safe drivers. That's good. So that's how the elders and congregations' responsibility, authority relates. Let's come back to your job description before we close. I want to give you quickly seven responsibilities for you to do your job properly. All right? These are uh, from a good friend of mine, Jonathan Lehman, in one of his excellent books uh, on congregational authority. Here's first responsibility. Attend church regularly. Attend church regularly. This is the primary place where you grow, where we train you to fulfill your job. This is the primary place where you do your job by meeting and worshiping and gathering with other members and encouraging other members before and after the service, singing together with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sitting under the same word together, letting that word permeate into each other's lives. Friends, attending church is the basic obedience and responsibility of the Christian. Hebrews chapter 10, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but encourage one another every day as the day of judgment approaches. Second responsibility for you to do your job properly, preserve the gospel. Protect and preserve the gospel. This means, brothers and sisters, that you must be able to answer the question, what is the gospel? Every member of this church, of ECC, we want you to be able to answer that question faithfully, accurately, scripturally, biblically. What is the gospel? And not just that question, We want you to be able to answer a whole host of other questions. What is the Trinity? What does it mean that we worship one God in three persons? How is that different from the majority religion in this country? What does it mean that Jesus is God and he is fully man? What is the meaning of his substitutionary sacrifice? What does it mean to be justified by faith alone and not by works? What does it mean that Jesus is coming again soon? You should be able to understand these things and explain them to others, to one another, and to bring someone back if they are straying on any cardinal key point of doctrine. Uh, This is why we have our Sunday sessions classes. So make use of those and equip yourselves in sound doctrine. Uh, Starting in September, as we move to one gathering, we'll have three different classes running in parallel every single week for you to grow, for you to equip yourself, to be trained, to do your job, to protect and preserve the gospel. Third, affirm gospel citizens. Affirm gospel citizens. Again, this is not just voting at members' meetings and saying yay or nay, and then Pastor Christian says, so ordered, so ruled. No, this involves also knowing one another, seeking to know those whom we're bringing in at members' meeting, seeking to know other members in the church, being known by your fellow members. Now, we don't mean that every single member should know every single other member, personally by name and something about them. But collectively, we exercise a responsibility for one another. Know and be known by your other church members. You know, some church members have like a different kind of superpower, different from Batman. They have kind of like a secret identity. No one knows when they came. No one knows when they went. Just boom, in and out. No one knows who they are. Anonymous. Brothers and sisters, it ought not to be so. If that's you, beloved church member, resolve today to make a change in your life and to seek to embrace what God has called you to be in the local church. Fourth, attend members' meetings. Attend members' meetings. You can't do your job if you don't show up at the office. Right? 
And members' meetings are a primary place where we fulfill our job responsibilities. Uh, we usually have about 30% of the members of this church come to members' meetings regularly. There are some members who have never come to a members' meeting in their entire time as a member of the church. And then when something has changed in the church or there's something new happening, they wonder like two years later, hey, why, when did that change happen? Why did that happen? Nobody told me. Well, you didn't come. Right? Invest yourself. Be there to witness the baptisms of your brothers and sisters. Be there to fulfill the responsibility that Jesus has given you. And let me assure you, our members' meetings are not dry, boring business meetings. All right? We strive to keep it as a family gathering. We strive to keep the tone warm, engaging, encouraging, and holy. Where we build one another up as the church. So that's fourth. Attend church regularly first, preserve the gospel second, affirm gospel citizens third, attend members meetings fourth. Fifth, disciple other church members. Get involved in relationships with other members where you're investing in each other's lives. Start becoming part of a small group in your area maybe. Begin to learn the art of speaking the truth in love to one another, to teach and admonish one another. Talk about the sermon. I challenge you today, talk, spend two minutes, three minutes, Extend yourself maybe five minutes after the service, approaching another member and talking to them about the biblical truth that you heard this morning. I bet you that will be more edifying than talking about how the weather is getting warmer in June. We all know it gets warm in June. Sixth, share the gospel with outsiders. If you are a citizen of this kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom, you are also an ambassador for his kingdom. You are an ambassador for the gospel, entrusted with the responsibility to share that gospel with those who are lost, with those who have never heard. Remember, Jesus gives the great commission to the local church. It's your job. It's our job. It's not just the pastor's job, not just the elder's job, not just the missionary's job, not just the evangelist's job. It's the local church member's job. Ordinary Christians with an extraordinary job to make Christ known to the ends of the earth. Last responsibility in your job. Follow your leaders. Follow us, your elders. Brothers and sisters, we are here to equip you, to train you, to guide you, to model the Christian life for you, to help you grow in fulfilling your job. The greatest way to fulfill the responsibility that Jesus has given you is by following those whom he gave you to lead you in that responsibility. And let me just say this. If you cannot trust or follow your elders you will be unfruitful and unable to fulfill your responsibility as a church member. It just doesn't work. So if that's your mindset, a posture of suspicion, of being unable to trust, unable to follow, I want to ask you, dear brother or sister, why? Let's look in your heart. Why are you unable to trust? Who wronged you? What's going on there? Ultimately, you're called to be faithful to Jesus and his commands. And he's called you 
in Scripture to obey your leaders and submit to them as those who keep watch over your souls. So you will be fruitful and faithful in fulfilling your job as you follow us, as we fulfill our job to train and equip you. Imagine if the king of this nation, of this emirate, of Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, called you on the phone tomorrow and said, I'm going to invite you to be involved in governing this nation. Come be a part of my cabinet. First meeting is on Tuesday at 9 a.m. I bet you'd be really excited. I bet you'd make it a priority to be there. Friend, as a member of this church, you are jointly responsible for whether or not this church continues to faithfully proclaim the gospel. You are jointly responsible not only for what this church teaches, but for whether or not its members' lives will remain faithful. And you have been given that responsibility by a far greater king, the king of kings himself. One day you will stand before our king and give an account for how you used his authority and whether or not you fulfilled the responsibility that he gave you. And I hope on that day you're not there saying, I just showed up for 90 minutes a week and I ran away. May we be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of the amazing stewardship that you have given us for all who have trusted in Christ and repented of our sins. Help us to embrace our responsibility, our authority as citizens of your kingdom and fulfill this work with gladness and joy for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.